Welcome to the second season of the Make the Future podcast. I'm your host, Jacques Beauvais, Dean of the Faculty of Engineering at the University of Ottawa. Join us as we have conversations with different thought leaders about current issues facing the engineering industry. Let's explore the future of technology and innovation and how, through creativity and collaboration, we can make the future. They say the future is coming, but that's not true. The future is already here. And it's relentless. It's not going to wait for you to catch up. How will we live in this future? How will we make sense of it? To define our course, we need a new perspective. One that engages our curiosity, that activates our imagination, one that defies the conventional. To own the future, we need to do more than just see it. We need to make it. Today I'm joined by our guest host, Jamie Petten, the President and Executive Director of the Canada North Business Association. Today we're joined by two guests, John Wall, Senior Vice President and Co-Head, BlackBerry Technology Solutions, Products, Engineering and Operations, QNX Software Systems, and by Dr. Ashley Kennedy, founder of the company Neurovine. I was a student here at the University of Ottawa uh, <laughs> a long time ago. So I left in 87. I just came back two and a half years ago. The place has changed. Uh, it's gone through Nortel and back because when I left, it was still Northern Telecom. BNR. It was still BNR. Yeah. Uh, Mitel was still into semiconductors yeah. and doing that kind of stuff. So it's changed. Yeah. It, it completely changed to Nortel. I still have, what were they called? Beanie, beanie, these little sandbag animals. These beanie, little beanie babies. Beanie yeah. ba it was a cow with the Nortel logo on top and a dollar sign underneath. It was the Nortel cash cow that they were handing out at job fairs. So I've kept that because it's so paradox. So <laughs> things have changed. Change, things have changed. Yeah. And it's part of the reasons that I love coming back is that there's so much diversity now in Ottawa. I feel far, I don't feel the insecurity. The that dependence on had, one the industry. Dependence on one, because even in the yeah. university environment, there was a government, the, the NSERC program, so the Nitro, Natural Science and Engineering Research Council, which required you to have a partner in industry to get the grant. They didn't need to put in money. And I think that at one point, 50% of every single strategic grant in Canada had Nortel as the co-signatory. Yeah. It was very, that's not how you build a very strong well, and we, so we, we support lots of NSERC applications, but yeah. we only support the ones that are aligned with our business yeah. mm -hmm. because there is so much diversity. Yeah. I don't have to support something that doesn't make any sense yeah. for my business. That's right. Mm -hmm. that's right. And if and if it doesn't make sense for you, there's probably somebody that's next what I mean. door for it whom does it make exactly sense. we exactly. have that yep. diversity. We are a health tech company that uh, it's a deep technology company that uses real-time data from your brain and your body, so neurophysiological data, um, to change the way that people recover after they've had a brain injury. Um, and so we have been um, around for about a year, and um, the product that we're building heavily relies on big data. Um, and so we have all of the challenges around data privacy, um, 
making sure that the machine learning algorithms and the AI is trained properly so that we're not integrating our own biases into the data. Mm -hmm. um, but over the past year, I've been blown away at the power mm -hmm. of these technologies. Um, you know, we've been working on one algorithm for probably six months, and it's probably 40% more accurate than the human eye mm. already, and it's we're just starting to train it. Um, so I'm, I'm so excited about the potential of this, but um, also very cognizant of, of the biases that we're introducing yeah. and, um, and the data privacy. I grew up with a father who played in the CFL, and he lost friends to CTE. So um, my interest in the brain started quite early. Mm -hmm. um, I knew something was off with some of these ex-football players and it's just become progressively more obvious over time. And so it directed me to become a neuroscientist. Um, so I did a, a PhD at Ottawa U um, and then one in not in exercise physiology, one in neuroscience. And um, then I was lucky enough to do a postdoctoral fellowship that was co-sponsored by the University of Waterloo and the Toronto Rehab Institute. Both of those groups are incredible at bringing innovation out of the hospital. Um, so it really was uh, the game changer. That was the tipping point for me where I saw, oh, these physicians are, are building technology and giving it to their patients to take them home, to take it home with them. And um, so I thought, well, I can do that as well. <laughs> um, particularly for brain injury because it is this invisible injury. And when you leave the hospital, you're on your own especially with mild traumatic brain injuries, um, you really can get into a negative cycle of, of really re-injuring yourself by just going back to work too early, mm -hmm. going back to sport too early. Um, and so providing the data that's missing to the patients and the clinicians makes it visible, makes it tangible. Uh, and if we can measure it, we can improve it. Um, so this is uh, one of the only companies doing this right now in, in the concussion space. But I think it's kind of uh, the first step in a, a wave of brain technologies that are going to start impacting our healthcare system. Great, thank you. Yeah. So BlackBerry QNX. BlackBerry QNX. Yes. People, sadly, some of our students don't even know, don't even remember BlackBerry. Anymore. Yes, which is actually not necessarily a bad thing. Okay. Because. Uh, you know, associating BlackBerry with phones that's in the past. Uh, so I've been part of QNX since 1993. So QNX was a uh, software company that was uh, brought into existence in 1980 by two founders from the University of Waterloo, uh, specializing in real-time operating system and middleware software. So our software has always been aimed at industries like nuclear power plants, Healthcare, so defibrillators, infusion pumps use our software, uh, oil and gas, and automotive. And so, one of the things that our software is always uh, used for is mission critical things where, where it's life critical. Uh, so, we got into automotive, which is our big market in the, in the late 90s, uh, where we started doing infotainment systems for cars. Even uh, in the late 90s? Yep. Okay. Uh, wow. We did one of the first systems for GM. Uh, in a car you might remember called the Saab uh -huh. that doesn't exist anymore. Uh -huh. uh, so we got we got very heavily into that. So most of the cars, we, we had 55% of, of that market. Uh, so 
So if you had a, a radio with a, a screen, it was probably running our software. And we used to joke, uh, lots of pressure, lots of uh, threats to get the things out on time for basically what was a toy for rich guys. Mm -hmm. And uh, But we recognized in, in the 2013, 2014, where the industry was going. So we started focusing a lot more on safety, functional safety, which is a standard for, for software development, because we saw autonomous drive coming. Mm -hmm. And even autonomous drive, what would precede autonomous drive is a lot of safety features within the vehicle based on software and electronics. And we made the right choice at that time. We really started focusing on the safety. We're becoming very dominant in that area in, in across the world. Uh, and what I find very interesting is now we're actually doing something that's going to save lives. Mm -hmm. This is very, very important to the car. I think you know all the, all the spotlight is really around autonomous drive, and that's the sexy thing, and that's great. It, it gets students to come to, uh, to apply to us. Mm -hmm. uh, great students, great smart people coming. But the real hidden gem behind that is that you're going to incrementally see the car get safer. Mm. Uh, you won't see autonomous drive right away. You'll see safety features in the vehicle. And my, our wish is that you eliminate accidents. Mm -hmm. And I think that you're going to see a big improvement over the next 10 years. Clearly, it's in the category of positive impact of technology. Hugely positive. What are the... There must be some issues related to that. Well, you know, I, I think, you know, the issues around that is as you make things more automated and more reliant on software and connected, you have a security threat. Mm. And I think that's the, the negative side. Mm. So, you know, we often talk, and, and it's interesting, in, in German, there's no separation of the word safety and security. It's one word okay. in, the, in the German language. And that's kind of how the, the attitude that we have is uh, functional safety, which is a set of standards to, to make sure that you, your mean time between failure is, is measurable. Uh, but there is no standard on the security side. That's just being developed. But we, we, for us, these go hand in hand because safety devices don't assume bad actors. Security is what you, you need to make sure uh, okay. something that's designed to be safe, uh -huh. is it truly safe? Mm. Okay. okay. And how, okay, I'll admit one thing. I bought my a new car a year and a half ago. It had been a while since I bought a car. I was in a completely different generation of car. It wants to help me do an awful lot of things. First thing, so I tried it one day and then I turned everything off. Uh, I don't want it to stop me from changing lane. I don't want it to yeah. slow down as soon. I, I, I use the cruise control, but I don't want it to decide to slow me down. What's wrong with me and how can you convince me to... I, I think it's disconcerting. I mean, I, I have to admit that I have a car now that has what they call lane keep assist. Yeah. Uh, and it, it's disconcerting at first to have the steering wheel fight you. Yeah. yeah. And, but I think it's a generational thing. I think as the technology gets more mature, people will start to buy into it. It'll be what they grow up with. But am For, I bizarre to turn it off? I, I, I think I think you should give it more of a chance. Okay, fair okay. enough. <laughs> I, the, the cruise control I understand. I like yeah. to either pass or, or I, I don't like that necessarily. But yeah. uh, but part of that function of the cruise control is also your automatic braking. Yes, that I understand. Which has is invaluable in my opinion. Yeah, that that I can see. But I I've started to come to the conclusion that these cars who now pass me on the highway but slow down as they pass me is potentially their system. Which it is, could be. But you yeah. know what I think. Um, as consumers, 
you spoke to this, Ashley, about taking the tech home, you know, as a, as a patient or as a consumer driving the car. And, you know, for us to get comfortable with the tech leaving the hands of the experts and coming into the hands of the consumer in these situations where they're mission or life critical, you know, do we feel like there might be, you know, certain user error that um, would be more likely, you know, in that case? So, you know, as that accessibility increases, what are the risks that come along with it? You know, and, and, and as well, like, how do we feel about taking on the ownership over, over it as well? Yeah, well, I think in the healthcare space, we want ownership. Mm -hmm. um, every part of our life is quick and on demand. So we have Netflix, we have Uber, mm -hmm. um, and in healthcare, healthcare legs, uh, for good reason. Mm -hmm. The medical training of the physicians is evidence-based. Mm -hmm. um, and the way that they're compensated for their services means they don't have space to learn new things. But as consumers, we're becoming more demanding mm -hmm. because we're used to having things delivered mm -hmm. to our doors. Mm -hmm. Um, so we want control of our health, certainly, mm -hmm. um, to the point where um, physicians hate it when people come with Dr. Google answers, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like we think that the answers we can find are better than what's provided yeah. um, by our physician. But um, won't, won't you make matters worse? Yeah, so we, the, the way that we're developing our, t our technology is hand-in-hand hand with physicians. And I think this okay. is a big piece of this black box that we're scared of in health tech, is that uh, we're making decisions and the um, prescription is just given to the doctor to deliver to their patient. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that you bring up a really important point in terms of making the black box visible, being able to actually um, collaborate with physicians, provide them the decision-making criteria that we're using to make these good decisions um, is key. That's one of the massive things to in the healthcare sector to get physicians to accept the technology. Mm -hmm. um, it has to be developed with them and it has to be transparent. They have to see what the black box is doing. Mm -hmm. But there's already been steps in the sense that what, what you're talking about in technology is absolutely vital because it's, it's so complicated, the concussions, and we're so subjective in trying to decide when we go back. But I see that physicians encourage people to buy themselves uh, a blood pressure mon monitor mm -hmm. and make measurements every day. Bring in your graph with your data. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. so we are already appropriating some of yes. that technology. Yes, yeah, certainly. And so, so that I guess that must lower the bar to be able, in the sense of the the insecurity bar, mm -hmm. to make it more acceptable to everyone. Yeah, and um, and I think physicians are seeing the the lowered cost on the healthcare system when there is this continuous and almost proactive measurement that they can track. Mm -hmm. So they're not waiting until the person's had a heart attack. They're seeing years before that there's a problem. And so it's, it's lowering healthcare um, and, and physicians are compensated for keeping their patients healthy. Mm -hmm. um, so there is some incentive to get them deploying this predictive. That's right, that's right. And so I think fundamentally the way physicians are compensated yeah. will have to evolve yeah. along with the evolution of the technology. And of course, like the regulatory bodies and the way that, that physicians are compensated, that will be slow. Uh, so we're in this weird yeah. in-between phase where the capacity of the technology is huge. Healthcare just has to continue to catch Because I had the chance to talk quite a bit with a health minister in Quebec from a few years back, and he was, it was very clear to him that the path for, forward 
was changing the billing system and, yes. and the pay system. Yes. Because it says until we do that, we can't Certainly. modernize the system. Yeah. So, so it seems to resonate with what you were saying. Yeah, yeah. And even um, like we're moving away from a paper system now. Mm -hmm. um, EMR, like the, the medical systems have advanced where a lot of wearable tech can now partner with the EMR systems. And so we're moving in that direction. Mm -hmm. um, but it's still discontinuous care where most people are getting their blood pressure taken once every couple months as opposed to yeah. a continuous process. You talked about safety and security. How quickly are things moving right now? I, actually, I was just listening to your answer about the medical community and uh, a few years back you could have say, said the same thing about traditional automotive. Mm. It moves at a snail's pace. Mm -hmm. uh, when you look at a big automotive company, it's basically a purchasing company because if you look at what goes into a car it's purchasing a hundred thousand parts mm -hmm. and assembling them the uh, the push from the Google's the Uber's Tesla has really ignited the market and and I think the analogy back to medical I think the billing system is part of the problem mm -hmm. because if you just want a referral or something you have to go in it's not real I find it's very well geared to the modern life uh, so in automotive, what we're seeing is we're seeing a real shift in the automotive companies. Uh, and I was very uh, surprised. I, I went to Jaguar a couple of years ago at JLR in the UK, and they put up a, a foil that said JLR Motor Company. And then they said, this is what we're going to be, JLR Software Company. Mm. And that's where all the car makers know that as electrification becomes, I mean, that's unstoppable. Cars will be moving to be electric cars. Uh, that's going to lower the barrier for other new entrants because you get rid of the big barrier. The big barrier is combustion engine and transmission. These are the two very, very difficult things to develop. Uh, and so you go to a much simpler system that's electrical. You're going to have a new architecture within the vehicle, and the vehicle is going to become an ecosystem platform like a phone. Mm -hmm. So now you have Google driving this with Waymo. You have uh, uh, Baidu in China, Alibaba some of the, the startup electric companies. So it's very fascinating time to be in this industry. Why is the electrification of the vehicle unstoppable? I think there's a couple of reasons. And I think one of the ones, you'll be surprised uh, of my opinion here, but Dieselgate killed the diesel engine in Europe. Okay. Yeah. That's Europe was going all diesel uh -huh. because it gets much better gas mileage, it lasts a lot longer. If you look, Volkswagen shifted gears mm -hmm. And now they're one of the, the, the quickest to market with electric car. So I think it's inevitable. It's, it's going that way. I think the, 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 the climate change uh, movement across the world is pushing it that way. Uh, I think especially in developing countries where you still have smog issues like in India mm -hmm. and, and Beijing, and that it's just it's a natural thing. That's actually very encouraging. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I mean, I, I, I've talked to car com companies like Magna here in Canada that yeah. produce cars and, and you don't even know they make cars. They make yeah. cars for GM, mm -hmm. they make cars for BMW. They're gearing up for all electric. So I want to hear a little bit more because you've, you've spoken about the fact that you're in, in the medical technology sector and all that, but mm -hmm. what, what's the technology you have? Is it, you, do you give, how do you monitor people yeah. as they recover from concussions? How, what do you do? Yeah, uh, so we um, are, a cloud-based deep tech software company. 
Um, but we use off-the-shelf EEG headsets. So okay. um, an EEG headset reads your brain activity. And typically this has been clinic-based. Even five years ago, you needed to be in a clinic to get an EEG done. Mm -hmm. um, but companies like Interaxon out of Toronto and Emotive out of San Francisco have developed clinical-grade mobile technologies. Um, and that's just because of the evolution of the sensor technology has been wild over the past few years, um, largely because of the brain-computer interfacing push that we're in right now. Um, so we pull neurophysiological data from the brain and the body, and we create personalized recovery programs um, that track your recovery over time, but also give you real-time alerts when you're pushing yourself too hard. Uh, so our algorithms understand when you're moving into a red zone or a cognitively overexerted zone. And um, when you're in that zone, you're at risk for regressing in your recovery process. And that's why these concussions take so long to recover mm -hmm. from because people can't see it. Um, they look the same on the outside, mm -hmm. so they go back to work. Or they're taking care of their kids because that's life and there's nothing telling you to stop. Um, so we provide an alert saying you're, in t you're moving into a danger zone, it's time to take a brain break. Um, and so we're building modules that can help people restore cognitive loads, so guided meditation and mindfulness modules that plug into the technology. Um, and then we can let the person know when they can go back to work uh, into school. You have the potential to be really evil because yeah. you yeah. will be doing brain readings, yes. putting the data on the cloud, yeah. using AI to analyze it. Yeah. For now, you're looking at your recovery from yes. concussions, yeah. but it has an enormous potential to be misused. It absolutely does. I hope you've enjoyed our conversation so far, and we're going to continue in an upcoming episode, and I really hope you'll be able to join us.